Hey, Robert. Hey, Jan. All right. So last time, I think it was last time, uh, we talked about um, Mark Andreessen's uh, Tech Optimism Manifesto, which had a lot of good things in it. Also, was flawed in terms of it. It lacked kind of the understanding of of where all this comes from. That is, what is necessary in order to make the case for optimism, in order to make the case that this will continue uh, indefinitely. But what's happened since and what has been really interesting is a backlash against the manifesto, a backlash really from across the political spectrum, from different types of publications, and you know, really, really interesting how many people resent the idea of optimism with regards to technology. I think we were both surprised at the uh, negativity of the reaction, uh, given the positivity of the topic. Um, and most of it was, I would say, nitpicking. I mean, there, there is, there are, are things to pick at, and we, yep. we talked about some yep. of them. Um, but that's a point of modest disagreement compared to where, you know, we we think that sort of manifesto is so powerful, uh, and. You know, there, there are other people who I would have categorized as techno-optimists that just seized on one piece and rejected the whole techno-optimism. So it was it was weird. And some of it, some of it was was more than just rejecting um, nitpicking or, or, you know, a number of the tech publications, kind of the Silicon Valley publications, Wired, TechCrunch, came out with these really, really negative reviews of it that were that went far beyond kind of the nitpicking or the disagreement. And it, to me, it was a really worrisome sign. I mean, these are publications that historically were 10, 20, certainly 30 years ago, super tech optimist. <laughs> and um, they seem to have, you know, turned into these tech pessimistic publications, which right in the heart of Silicon Valley and my fear is that that maybe represents at least some people in the Valley's attitude towards the future. I think this is tied to, I agree, and I think it's tied to the fact that there's been a, a shift uh, in the technology space towards more, you know, I'll call it planned solutions. Uh, and that's that's kind of how it goes when a problem gets solved, then the people who solved it then have a solution and they're like, this is what we should use. Uh, but if you think about it, when I look at the manifesto, I don't see it as being a uh, something to be to be foisted on the world. I see it as an invitation, not a threat. And I think that the conversation has changed a lot over the, these last couple, few decades, where there's an assumption that if someone says, this is how I think we should do things, that their next step is going to be, I'm going to make you do it this way. And we've seen that in, in areas that you know we're familiar with, that have, have you know, slowly shifted. It's the the idea of the slippery slope, although luckily the slope never got that slippery. Uh, in in uh, like the book Nudge, where the idea yep. was there are certain things you can do without limiting people's choices that will lead to better outcomes. And 
then it's it starts to be well we're going to force companies to do these things because it doesn't take anybody's choice away which is a huge oxymoron when you just forced companies to do it yep. uh, and it'll lead to better outcomes and of course you find out later that you know most of the data was made up and the results uh, are not replicable uh, and so it doesn't actually lead to better outcomes and that attitude that we're going to find a solution and we're going to find some sort of best practices, we're going to do something that's definitely going to uh, make the world a better place. And then we're going to apply it one size fits all to everyone. It's it's there. It's, it's Unfortunately, it, it seems to have grown um, and it's there among people who are very smart and generally in favor of innovation. And it causes people, I think, to look at the manifesto and say, you know, I see problems with this and I don't want this to be the ruling document of the world. And so I'm going to reject it as opposed to saying, I love this message and here's how I would say it. And here's why I think that would be you know, more appropriate or, or more appropriate for this group of people or for this particular type of problem. I mean, my sense is that 20, 30 years ago, or certainly in the 90s, but into the 2000s, there was a ingenuous attitude in Silicon Valley where in a sense, let it rip. Let's let's see, you know, we'll invest in a bunch of different things. We'll do a lot of different things. We'll fail. We'll succeed. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but we're generally confident that the outcome will be good. And now that confidence that the outcome would be good seems to have gone. And as a consequence, they want it more regimented. They want it more controlled they, because, because uh, they think they can foresee how this will be in the future. And they've lost that really crucial part of ingenuism that I think drove the Valley for many, many years, uh, of, of really from its founding until not that long ago, and still drives the successful companies in it. Uh, it, it seems to be lost. And maybe, you know, this is a real tragedy. It, mean, it means we, we really need to ramp up our work to get this, uh, you know, to get them back on track. Well, you know, the fact that someone like Mark Andreessen would write the manifesto is a very positive sign. The reaction to it, I think, is a negative sign, although it's not that people would criticize it or react badly to it. it it's the the absolute rejection that I'm generally seeing among people who I frankly think should know better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think that 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 attitude is pervasive, I, you know, given all the progress that we've made in the last uh, 25 years. Uh, you know, it's hard for that to, to get cemented, but it does seem like it, it started with the Great Recession, with the financial crisis, and that these the sort of negative events are being used to see how much is at risk and we need to be more careful and we can't have bad things happen versus historically, you know, the, shit happens. And the question is, for every bad thing that's happened, does 10 good things happen? And that's the world we've been living in, but it's not a guarantee. So I agree with you. It's like a canary in a coal mine where it registers as a, a red flag that there's a threat there. Uh, and you know, I'm happy to see that we're still discussing it and that there are people out there who are supporting it and see the overall message as being extremely positive and extremely important and not getting bogged down in some of the details. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, it, I think it's a winning message and therefore a profitable message. So, so there'll be people who make money off of it and they will be the winners, but it does worry me partially because 
and this will lead us to our next topic. It 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 there's certain other political elements that are being brought into this discussion that in some ways don't belong in it. So, you know, the, 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 there's a certain uh, concern among people about what they call fairness. I'm not sure it is fairness and about issues that don't really, you know, they're overlaying onto, uh, onto the whole technology and the, and the optimism uh, to, to be pessimistic. Uh, and um I, you know, I I think that's problematic because I think it, it it philosophically, ideologically undermines much of kind of the progress movement and the idea of progress. There's there's a real challenge in Silicon Valley now of people who think progress is not that important. Where where that's just bizarre and never used to be. It, it is. It seems have no place. And, and I think what you're describing, you might call a status um, attitude that, mm-hmm. that things are the way they are and then looking at the world through that lens, not through the lens of what, what might be possible. So when you know, Andreessen's manifesto says, bring me your problems and technology will solve them, yep. you know, that, that is inconsistent with people's worldview. And instead of examining their worldview, they, they just are instinctively rejecting the manifesto and the optimism and the, and the power that is underlies it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've been very optimistic about, but obviously in the culture out there, there have been uh, counter voices, significant counter voices, the whole issue of artificial intelligence. Uh, I mean, we've made the argument that this has the potential to revolutionize so much of our life. And and it just seems obvious that it does. Uh, but there's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of fear. Uh, that kind of dominates instead of thinking about challenges and solving them. Uh, there's a lot of raising of problems and panic over those problems. And the consequence of that has been a lot of lobbying for regulations and a lot of panic in Congress and panic in the White House. And and the response to that was this, um, this last week, uh, Joe Biden signed an executive order, 110-page executive order, uh, detailing a new regulatory regime for uh, artificial intelligence or really telling departments of government and regulatory agencies to go out there and investigate and uh, and start regulating, right? Start controlling. Uh, it, it, it's not quite uh, bears the, the kind of uh, same status as a, a law that would pass, that would directly impact pri- private markets. But since almost all these companies deal with the government one way or the other, it's going to impact almost everybody. So what's your assessment of, of uh, you know, this, the fact that they're doing it and then the, the the actual content of what's being done? Right. Well, let me give you my positive take and, you know, my hopeful take and, and my more realistic um, concerns. Um, on a positive side, it, it lays out a framework, really, um, for how things might work in terms of uh, having safety built into AI. Now, you know, we are not experts on AI, but I would argue that they, when we're talking about an artificial general intelligence, there are no experts, that no experts exist. Uh, and so it's a it becomes a question of you know what do we think is actually happening in this type of development, you know and our position is that and without full confidence, 
is that you know what people are looking at is that we're building a submarine and the submarine is amazing it's fast it's big it's it's truly an incredible accomplishment and if you know you play around with the chatbots they really are amazing uh, but we can't build a whale we're not close to being able to build a whale it's not clear we'll ever be able to build a whale uh, and they kind of look the same and they kind of do the same things but functionally they're very very different and you know again using chatbots uh, there's 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 missing there's a spark that's missing when you ask it to do something it, it's extremely good at regurgitating uh, and it's amazing how uh, well it can write and how rarely it just completely gets things wrong, although it does, you know, it's just yeah, once in a while, it just goes nuts. Like a statistical yeah. model, sometimes, even if it's really good, it sometimes goes off the rails. Um, but it does just, it doesn't have, it feels like a submarine to me and not a whale. Now, you know, I think the response is, are you going to risk the world on uh, it being a submarine and not a whale? And my answer is, well, I don't think we really have a choice. You know, we either, I'm not quite the, the we're sharks, we either move or die, but I do think that we are uh, a species that if we're not growing, we turn to other pursuits, which are, are not nearly as productive and, and produce a lot more horrible results. You know, if we're fighting over what we view as fixed resources, it gets pretty ugly. So I think the risk is actually tilted towards that um, we do too much. And this framework that's been proposed, it doesn't obviously do too much. It has um, an emphasis on newer, more powerful models, which we don't know what they'll look like. I have a, yeah. a sense they're just going to be better submarines. They're not going to be whales. Yep. Um, but if they turn out to be whales, there's something in place. Uh, it, there's an emphasis on, on biotechnology, which does seem to be one of the areas that um, should be of the most concern. You know, ignore, you know, our, making pandemics. I, you know, I don't look forward to the day where the teenage boy next door can build a Tyrannosaurus Rex and have it for a pet and then it grows up you know, and steps over the fence. Uh, but that that may be the future. Like, that's not in our lifetimes, but that may be the future. And the only way to stop the future from coming is to give up and, and not get there. So I do have concerns. and I do think that the framework is overall pretty balanced. But my biggest concern is that we start answering questions in, in a regulatory environment that can't be answered right now. Uh, and that it's not actually an ingenuous document that lays out a framework and then we're going to learn and and evolve because that's not what we generally see in these sort of agencies. Yep. And you know we're our expertise is mostly in seeing things like what the SEC has done, which is to just invent a bunch of rules that are reporting rules. They're not they're nothing like you're telling people what they have to do. But they're reporting rules that push or nudge people in a particular direction while creating significant regulatory burdens, which discourage smaller companies and, and entrench larger companies. And then you end up with a, a, well, we've been talking about this for so long. Of course, we have to do something with it. We've been collecting this data. They've been um, disclosing these things. And, and you know, now we can easily do something. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not excited when Congress takes on this responsibility, but at least it's within a system that has clear feedback loops with elections. And I'm really unexcited when it's happening within the regulatory state, which is generally not cutting edge and it has no obvious feedback mechanism for correcting errors. And even if they were the greatest experts in the world, there'd be lots of errors to be corrected. Uh, and I assert that they're not, and they're not going to be because you know, you're seeing these massively valuable AI companies being created. So Silicon Valley is gonna suck up all the people who really are cutting edge in AI and it's gonna leave the rest to regulate those people. That, that's always been the case, right? I mean, we know this from, from you know, regulators, that, uh, bank regulators are just not as qualified as the uh, physics PhDs, Goldman Sachs uh, hires in order to create the next uh, derivative. Or, or I mean, it, it, the regulators just almost never can keep up. And certainly in an area as lucrative as AI and technology, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe uh, that they can. But you know, well, alternatively, alternatively, you just end up with a cycle which we call regulatory capture, where the experts go into government and they get influence and they go out at a higher yep. level because now they have influence as well as expertise. It, it's, yep. it either it goes one way or the other, uh, and it's not even clear which is worse. But neither of them are ingenuism. No, and and. Uh... And there are the risks here. Part of the risk is that you, you know, they're already already in this uh, hundred pager. There are all kinds of um, disclosure requirements, disclosure requirements that are not cheap and not easy, testing requirements that are not cheap and not easy, that are going to favor incumbents, going to favor big companies over innovative new companies, favor existing kind of methodologies over something completely new and breakthrough that maybe doesn't quite fit into this testing. A hypothesis. So there, there, there are a lot of things in this bill that are going to constrain new companies and uh, and and startups and and favor incumbents. And of course, the incumbents have been lobbying for this for the last year or so. I think most of them agreed to it before it even came out. Yeah. Uh, but you know, on a taking devil's advocate, because this is often true, that regulations that are being done, you know, with from afar. They do constrain uh, the outcome and in ways that can be very costly, um, but they're also, we have to give credit to people's ingenuism, uh, that, that their ingenuity, that people are very clever at finding ways around regulations. Yep. You know, the cost mm -hmm. is that the rules become the game and people have to game whatever rules are out there, but the rules evolve very slowly because they're not ingenuous. And, you know, just as an example, you know, right now they're focused on the size of the training that the model would get. And most of the training seems to have been brute force, which makes sense. If you're trying to parameterize a statistical model, you use as much data as possible. But maybe there are ways and people will figure out ways to do this on a smaller scale, particularly in narrow verticals, which I think is, is likely the future of really useful AI. And that, you know, it ends up being a, a, a non-issue, a big yeah. nothing burger. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. And it's not, there's no guarantee that that's the case. That is just the more positive spin is that people usually figure a way around these rules because the rules are coarse and there's plenty of space between them. And that doesn't mean that you should have them, but it does mean that the cost yeah. is often less than we think it'll be.
Yeah, no, that's uh, that's absolutely true. It, it, it's of course it's a it's it's sad to see resources dedicated to getting around rules rather than to innovating. Um, but yeah, and so sometimes you, you get speak to what to, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and sometimes you get systems that are just so big and so cumbersome, like our tax system, that <laughs> the the amount of resources that goes into it, you know, the, the amount of ingenuity that's used to to manage people's tax situations across the country, to say nothing of the direct costs, but the opportunity yep. costs is enormous. And if we ended up with something like the tax code for AI, that would be an absolute disaster. Yep. Uh, I just think it's unlikely that we'll end up in that terrible situation. I don't know. You're more optimistic than I am, given 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 how many regulatory agencies have now assigned to, to coming up with rules. Uh, uh, and and they each one will have their own expert who's not going to be an expert because they can't afford to have an expert. So that it, it, it's just uh, as, as soon as the consumer what is it the the, the consumer protection board is is involved. I I worry, and it's definitely one of the agencies that Biden has said, go investigate, go go create regulations. Um. So uh, Noah Smith wrote this uh, Substack where he kind of brought back something that we'd both not thought of in a long time, but but remember, which is that the government was concerned a long time ago, not about AI, but about encryption. And this is this goes back to the 90s when encryption was just becoming a big deal. And government was, of course, the same thing. Terrorism were going to use it. Uh, the, you know, criminals were going to use it. Of course, they, they do and they did. But, uh, but somehow government was going to stop this. They were going to regulate it. They were going to control it. And for whatever reason, they couldn't quite pull it off. Surprise, surprise. Well, Noah Smith is, you know, we agree with him on a lot of things. Um, and he's very much a uh, expert should make decisions, top down um, industrial policy will work if you just do it right uh, kind of guy. And so I assume that he would favor, you know, that that attitude towards AI, although I'm not not at all sure. Uh, but it, it is a position that would require you to answer the question, how is the government going to become more of an ingenuous? You know, organizations can become more ingenuous, but it doesn't happen automatically. And it, it doesn't happen in government very often. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, recently he talked about there's, you know, I think it was bring back the bureaucrats, that we should have more people working in government so that we have fewer people that people working in government are managing. You know, I'm sympathetic to that as long as you come up with a, you know, a clear argument and plan for, or, and by plan, I don't mean like steps, here's how it's going to happen, but here's what we're going to put in place. And so it's going to evolve in the right direction. And if it's not evolving in the right direction, we're going to change things. Uh, and that's that's a real problem with all of this is there is no good feedback mechanism in government. There's no, you know, in, there's no incentive, which is really the same as a feedback mechanism in the sense that uh, there is positive and negative feedback. When things are going well, you double down on it and in the private sector, you get rich. And so people are, are very eager to find out what's doing uh, well, but there's also no feedback on what's doing poorly. But if if we just take a hypothetical and we say if we could make um, you know an AI regulatory agency or a industrial policy agency that was going to be truly ingenuous, mm -hmm. then 
would it make sense to give that agency a lot of power? And of course, if, if you think about it, that agency almost has to be run by an AI. And that's a, a you know a, a common non-dystopian, I don't know what that word is, but uh, it's, it's a common positive view in science fiction of when AIs take over some of these activities that, you know, the DMV, for example, you just let an AI run the DMV and then suddenly people uh, have a, a very different experience. But how do you get there? Um, and a lot of people just pull, well, actually, basically everybody just pull balls that and say, okay, we could have an entrepreneurial state or we could have an effective regulatory agency and look at Singapore, they're doing a good job. But as soon as you bring up Singapore, you've lost me because if you can bring up one example of the entire planet, then you're talking about the exception, not the rule. So unless you have a plan for recreating Singapore a thousand times and significantly better, um, then that's it seems like a pipe dream, way more than Mark Andreessen's uh, Techno Optimist Manifesto is a pipe dream. Yeah, I mean, I'm more more negative about this than you are. You know, I think it's more than a pipe dream because I think it's it's just theoretically not possible, given what we know about incentives and and economic theory. It's they keep coming back to it because some there's there's this desire, there's the desire goes back to Plato for somebody to centrally plan life and somehow. And we can all imagine that they do it just right and we all maximize our lives and we'll maximize our happiness. But the truth is that we all have to make choices ourselves. And yeah, it can get messy and chaotic, but that's probably the only way to actually have a, a healthy society is when we, you leave people to, to that chaos. And you set up rules that, that regulate that chaos in a sense of not not you know, slapping each other, not killing each other, not being violent against each other, but pretty much any kind of intervention beyond that tends to be more harmful uh, than good. Well, you know, if we, that's the, that's the funny thing, right? Because the, um, you know, in ancient times, it was the gods who were directing everything. Uh, and of course, the gods, you, you couldn't see them, they weren't around. Um, you just kind of were told this is what they they wanted and there were natural yeah. laws that's that they i guess had created and you know now we're in a position where you can at least imagine creating an ai as this becomes a god it <laughs> looks down and says well shit i don't know what to do just go off and do your stuff and disappears just like <laughs> I mean, maybe that's was actually what happened uh, ten thousand years ago. That there there was an AI yeah. god that said, "You guys go figure it out yourselves. It's too complex." Yeah, if he was rational at all, that's that's probably that should have been what he did. <laughs> what he did, if, if well, you don't know, have rules like gravity, and um, sure. and I think we could probably an AI probably could improve on the rules we have because the rules have been created by a fallible political process and. You know, I I would look forward to seeing what a a truly godlike AI would come up with that was interested in the benefit of people, and they probably have to do some experiments. And you know, some people think we're living in a simulation mm -hmm. that represents those experiments. That there is an AI out there trying to figure out so that they can actually have their people get the best of the best of the best, um, and they're going to unplug ours anytime because clearly we are not the best of the best of the best yet.
Yeah. So, okay. On the thought that we're all just AI simulations, uh, <laughs> let's call this a week. <laughs> let's call this a show. 